One of the things that we love about doing this podcast is we have made friends amongst the rock and roll universe. And one of those friends back for another visit is Steve Hackett on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus Goldman. And when we first talked to Steve, when he was doing his Mediterranean Sky album, it kind of felt different. Like pals talking on the Zoom, you know? And when we talked to him for this episode, we realized our instinct was right. And he's just a great guy. And for some reason, he likes us. (laughs) (laughs) He again shared some great information and got to talk a little bit about the history of Genesis and bringing it into the now and moving it forward. And again, hearing the perspective of people who create this incredible music 50 years later, they're still performing it live is just incredible. So to hear him talk about all this is a treat. Buckle in and enjoy our conversation with Steve Hackett. He's a righteous individual. So happy to have him back as a guest. We talked to him during the pandemic, and he's back with us on the road. Uh, He's almost ready to go on stage tonight, so I know it's in the middle of a busy day for you. Steve Hackett, our guest on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Welcome back, man. Thank you. Nice to talk to you guys. Thank you so much. Last time we talked to you, it was during lockdown from pandemic, and you were set to release Under a Mediterranean Sky, uh, a musical fantasy trip through the Mediterranean and all that. But you've been a busy guy in real time, in real travel. Yes, you have. Yeah, and since last fall, we've been we've been traveling. We've been doing shows nonstop. So this has been my my busiest year, you know, for for forever. Frankly, it's um, people realize just how much they missed you, man. How much they missed the shows that you put <laughs> on. And now with what's going on this year with Seconds Out, uh, yeah. I just want to make an announcement for you. The big news is that the Seconds Out shows that were rescheduled or had to be rescheduled are now slated for Canada. They've been rescheduled, and you can get the new dates on HackettSongs.com for all our Canadian listeners to the podcast. We have one or two more uh, American ones as well, so um, uh, towards the end of the year. But first of all, we're in the middle of a UK tour here now, and then I'm I'm off to Italy to do some more shows there. It's going to keep us busy to the end of the year, basically. And I see you'll be in our neighborhood December 8th at the Keswick Theater in Glenside near Philadelphia. So we'll look forward to catching yes. up with you there, man. That'll be pretty Absolutely. cool. Absolutely. Yeah, um, the Keswick is always a favorite. It's always fun. Always nice to do that. So, uh, yeah, we had a lot of good memories from from that place. Um, it's amazing, isn't it? You know, when you go back to some, some places so many times, you know, you get that feeling of coming home. So With the Seconds Out Tour... Are you doing the songs exactly how they were done originally on the album, or have you tweaked them a little bit or altered them or reinvented them? Essentially, in the main, it's the same arrangements. I want to be faithful to the original uh, arrangements, but at the same time, uh, to add real brass and real woodwind, it's it's a wider sound palette than, than originally. Bye. 
I try and honor those those arrangements as much as possible, but I do it with with modern equipment, get guitars that sustain and keyboards that stay in tune and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, this recent tour has reignited, uh, created a major buzz about this period in time, seconds out. That was my first Genesis tour, and as great as the band was at that time, it's good to see both old fans and new plugging into this period. And I always, like a lot of people, thought that you left at Wind and Wuthering, but Seconds Out was really the last project you did with Genesis, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. We, I mean, we were touring with the Wuthering at the right. time, and uh, Seconds Out deliberately omitted uh, the things from Wind and Wuthering because that was the current uh, studio album. So there's an emphasis on other things that precede that. Yeah, so you, you get two time periods, and also when you look at what is contained on Seconds Out, you know, it's cherry picking across pretty much the whole of the 1970s up to that point. It's from 1971 onwards up to up to 77. You know, you get most of the of the 1970s in it. If you like 70s music, that's what that album is all about. In a in a pre MTV approved era, <laughs> when albums were al- albums and singles were singles, and uh, there was a huge amount of discrepancy between the way it was perceived. If you were an albums artist. Um, versus having singles, pop music was singles, and and rock basically was was albums. That's a long time ago, but that's kind of how it was. However, as you know, the youth have re-embraced vinyl. Some of them are paying ridiculous prices for uh, fresh vinyl, uh, but I think it's going to be one of those things where we will will our vinyl to our children, Steve, because <laughs> it's become the igniter in some ways for youth embracing older music including stuff that maybe we've left in the wall for a while and they discover or rediscover or help us to rediscover I see that happening there there is that I think that you know those of our generation perhaps of course there there was vinyl it was 78s then it was 45s then it was albums and and it was plastic but I think as 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 the music got more dynamic in other words you had quiet moments the advent of C- CD meant that you didn't have the crackles in between. You got super clean versus the idea of a big package. So I, I sense that that maybe people feel they're getting more for their money with uh, with vinyl. But what we what we do is we release uh, with all formats, so everyone gets a chance to have their favourite medium. And there are vinyl enthusiasts. There are CD enthusiasts. There are those who will, uh, you know, swear by uh, not buying a single thing and just listening to it on Spotify and all the rest. But hey, I, I like to possess something personally. I think um, there's a movement amongst the kids too. Emotionally, 
Yes, there is. We sell, um, uh, or I personally sell more physical product because uh, a lot goes into those packages. The idea of engaging with people through that. I think maybe, uh, you know, a couple of generations down the line, that may not be the case. And, uh, you know, streaming is, if that's what you grew up with, then I guess that's what you what you have. But I, I think, you know, the level of investment for artists is um, if you really love it, then it's better to support them in a way. Uh, that makes shows possible. It makes all sorts of things possible speaking of vinyl and you talked about 78s and 45s i have a bunch of my mom's 78s from her childhood like bill haley and the comets and stuff like that yeah do you remember the first record you were gifted or and or the first record you bought well my dad used to buy me cowboy records back in the day you know i was uh, when i was a little kid and um but I remember the first thing I bought was, bought was, was guitar instrumentals. That was what I was buying first of all. Um, but then very rapidly, from, from age nine, buying Man of Mystery by The Shadows, uh, I was buying a Ravel's Bolero on an album. So uh, uh, I was already very hooked on the power and the mystique of um, atmospheric classical music. So, you know, there was the sort of the dance of death aspect to that and the dynamic of something starting very quietly and ending up very loud and you could say much of the template for progressive music relies on that idea of the steady build of something Um, that was an important part of my young listening days Thanks for affording us a look inside that, Steve, because as a fan, I'm sitting here slack-chawed. Steve Hackett is our guest on The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. And if you're going to see him soon, and uh, like we said, he's coming back to the U.S., but Europe and Canada ahead on the Seconds Out tour. Oh, I know what I wanted to talk to you about. When I went to that, my first Genesis tour, it was also the first time I ever experienced servo lights which now, are, I mean, you use them every every night on on the Seconds Outdoor because that's the look. The cover of the uh, original album had the lights, and they were individually uh, focused by the computers, uh, moving individually in ways that we never had before for stage lighting. What was that like for you versus the old way it felt on stage with all that light flying all over the place? Man, it was crazy. Well, uh, back in the day, we started to invest very heavily in, in a light show. I was the prime mover in terms of that. I was insistent that Genesis get a light show because that way we could coordinate the look, the sound, the lyrics, so many things. And I believe what you're referring to is those um, aircraft landing lights, the fingers yeah. pointing down that was part and parcel of that cover and um in many places we've we've honored that and had the same thing sometimes we have a full rig other times you know we've had other stuff in the uk we're using all sorts of stuff at the moment which won't have to travel the cost of freight of course is enormous and has gone up a thousand percent not to mention how long is it going to take to get there you know well yeah all all of that yeah yeah you know you're you're sort of negotiating your your airline uh, prices all the time it's uh, extraordinary the way times are at the moment 
We'll be back with more of our conversation with Steve Hackett after this quick break and a word from Crooked Eye and Boldfoot Socks. It's fall, and I know, Marcus, that you've got a ton of anecdotal stories about your feet and riding and running and all that stuff that you do in the fall. And I know Boldfoot Socks are part of your regiment, right? Absolutely. They wick moisture off your feet and keep them dry. I do wear the Boldfoot socks when I bike, and never, ever have I had swampy feet. And I've ridden on almost a 100-degree heat index day, and my feet right. weren't this swampy. Right, summer especially, so, right? Yeah. I really like what they do. And another bonus is they're American-made. Boldfoot Socks is a company that uh, Josh got into because he did a 100K thing. Where, who can, Man, who has time for that? Man, he's amazing. So he goes and does his 100K in these Boldfoot Socks, and the socks perform so well, he believes, and he's right, that these socks are really going to revolutionize footwear for people who work out and ride, especially uh, someone like you who rides a lot on their on their bike. And let's not forget, Josh did that like hundred mile run in the Nevada desert. That what? is gnarly and tough. And he donates portions of his sales to military charities, which is awesome. So go check out their amazing variety of colors and styles. Great socks. And you can find them all at boldfoot.com. Thanks to them for their support of the podcast. As always, Boldfoot Socks, American grown, American sewn. So much has been happening this year and changing at Crooked Eye Brewery, our sponsor for a long time now, Marcus. Since 2014, they've been pouring the cure for what ails you, but then they added craft cocktails. Then they added ciders. And recently, they opened the Crooked Eye Kitchen and Salty Vets Barbecue being served at the premises. You used to have to bring something with you. Now just bring your appetite. The long-term business plan of Crooked Eye has been very smart. Whatever they were going to do before the pandemic had to change drastically, and they've made the adjustments. And as we've slowly opened up, they've slowly continued to add and add and create more. And it's much to the delight of the people going in there all the time, because like you've said, every night's a party, a different kind of party over at Crooked Eye. It's a random party. what the music is, like the Blues Jam or the second Tuesday of the month with my vinyl night, which is anything you want it to be. The Crooked Eye Band and all the other performers who make it fun, Mafia, all performing, check it all out. And the way to find out about who's playing when is on their Facebook. That's really the best way to keep up, but the website too, I guess. So if you're looking for a place to go, make a plan, grab a friend, meet at Crooked Eye in the heart of Hatboro, serving you since 2014. So much fun talking with Steve Hackett. Let's get back to it on the Imbalanced History. We're, we're doing this uh, UK tour and it's it's going very well. Last night we had some guys from King Crimson turn up. We had um, Nick Beggs who'd been working with all late sorts night, of people. Late night for everybody? It wasn't a late night. No, no, no. We have to make it early nights because we had such a long trip from, um, from Aylesbury to Torquay. And these might, might not be names that are familiar to um, 
you guys the other side of the pond. But you know, it takes quite a bit of time. It's like uh, something like six or seven hours to make that drive. So you know that 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 went very well. We had a whole bunch of pals. It was full of musos last night. That's great. It was um, the guys from Meridian, the guys from King Crimson, and 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 others. You know, guys I'd worked with in the past. Nick Banks, always great to see him. Um, Jacko Jacksick, that was lovely. Ian Mosley, these all be people I'm sure you're, you're familiar with. And, um, Some yeah, of whom you've made us familiar up. with, though. Steve, yeah, well, in indeed, our previous that's right. conversation, you know, I, uh, I got to tell you, I got to ask you. That's a question I want to ask yes. you. Uh, yeah. Who were some of your favorite collaborators during your solo years, all these decades? You've worked with so many great people. Who are some of your faves to play with? Well, you know, I, I, I had a lot of pals who were in Yes, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of pals in King Crimson. Um, so I've worked um, with people. And, you know, there's this crossover. I, I'd worked with John Wetton, talking about, you know, Fallen Brothers. Um, there was John Wetton, Chris Squire. Um, Ian McDonald, uh, hugely important as far as I was concerned. Yes. You know, Ian had invented King Crimson and then he'd invented Foreigner. Said the straight man to the late man, where have you been? I've been here and I've been And so, you know, his passing was uh, extraordinary because he'd been he'd been very encouraging to me when I was very very young before I was really completely professional and um, I, I feel I owe him a lot as an inspiration and as, as a kind of um, his encouragement meant a lot uh, to me um, so uh, Chris Squire of course you know wonderful working with him and uh, John Wetton you know I love them all you know they're fallen, fallen brothers that's it's a whole other other deal you know it's like you know when you see the passing of the greats like Zappa and um, there are monuments out there carved in vinyl rather than in stone, mm-hmm. should we say. But but um, that's what that's what music does. And if it moves you enough, uh, it becomes part of your your DNA, your 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 roadmap. Uh, this is what engaged you. This is what took you there. And it's places that you may go in the future that you hope they would have liked and they would have. And being a little bit emotional here about about the oh, passing it's cool. of some it's great cool. some great friends, yeah. and um, yes, it's been a, a very interesting time. I'm lucky to kept going. Many are retiring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do what I do because I I absolutely love it and feel compelled to do it. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> now, on top of. Uh what Ray had said about collaborations. Are there any people that you wish you had collaborated with, but it didn't quite work out? And are there any people that you still want to work with or collaborate with at this point? Uh, Well, I had hoped to do some more stuff with Richie Havens. Unfortunately, you know, I did a couple of things with him. He asked me to play on something of his. Uh, And so, you know, we've been involved with with, uh, two or three things. 
I, I had hoped to do more there, but uh, and of course I had a great love of blues, and um, Paul Butterfield was um, was a hero of mine mm -hmm. as a fellow harmonica player. I absolutely loved um, what he did. Um, people in the future, I don't know. I'm, I'm about funny enough to um, receive a, 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 an award from the Dutch. Uh, for guitar playing, and I gather Jan Ackerman's going to be there, and I think we're going to jam together, as far as I know, and um, and I shall just play it for laughs, try and get a few smiles out of people. You know, that, that that that's really it. You know, because we were often on the same bill, Focus and Genesis, at one time. I know Tides Van Leer is still going, and he has a very uh, fine guitarist in Menno. Uh, but uh, you know, we all remember Jan Ackerman as uh, as a brilliant guitarist. Yes. Also, my brother came to the gig last night and and and, and played along with Firth of Fifth. And um, uh, he has a brilliant band himself. He has a great guitarist himself, Nick Fletcher, who you may or may not have heard of, but he's 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 an incredible um, uh, jazzer and classical guy as well. Incredible, um, incredible chops. So. There are things, there are always things. Sometimes it's pals, sometimes it's further afield. I, I, I like all sorts of guitarists. And so many guitarists, when we bump into each other, we say, oh, you know, we, we must do something together at, at some point. And uh, uh, I've done quite a lot in that department, you know, with Steve Howe and uh, uh, Brian May. Right. Um, plenty of jams, some of which have been recorded. It kind of goes on. I, I would have loved to have uh, hooked up with Eddie Van Halen. You know, we'd, we'd sort of mm. spoken about each other. I would have loved to have heard the result of that. Man. I would yeah. have loved that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be interesting. Obviously, he was brilliant, a brilliant player. But you see, part of my, my, uh, my background was not just listening to rock players, but also... Andres Segovia and Paco Lucia, um, many people who were a great uh, players of classical guitar or, or, or flamenco. So that's a whole other region that was explored on, under a Mediterranean sky. Uh, the guitar is many different things to different people, but the guys that I really do admire are the ones who addressed it, both from the electric end of things which you get attracted to when you're very young but also the acoustic side of things last time we were talking about some exotic instruments that you've acquired through the years any additions to your collection on your recent travels ma'am on the, on the last studio album which is called surrender of silence mm -hmm. um, i was playing a, v a vietnamese instrument called the dine shine which is related to the koto family and um I play that at the beginning of a track called um, From Shanghai to Samarkand. So we have that and a, a number of instruments on that. There's the dutar uh, from Uzbekistan. There is the tar from Azerbaijan. Someone was showing me a bass mandolin the other day. And I thought, my God, that sounds wonderful. Of course, recently I've used the charango from Peru. You know, I've got so many things in the equivalent of the attic <laughs> if I could get them all out, you know, from the Dobro to this to that to the banjo guitar, there's there's so many things, um, aspects of Americana, but also uh, the Far East. So um, 
I, I love all these instruments. Uh, ever grateful that, that the Beatles introduced us to the sitar. A few years ago, I was working with an incredible sitar player called Shima Mukherjee. So, yes, there is that aspect of, of world music that's, um, that's there. Uh, it's not world music to them, it's local music. Right? Mm-hmm. That's the thing, isn't it? It's regional music. We're all just, part of the world, right? Yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah, that, that's it. You know, well, that's, listen, I know they're going to call you soon to go out and perform Seconds Out tonight and do a great job. Supper's ready, man. Got to have supper's ready. I know. Okay, thank you. Uh, but thank the you. incredibly obvious question is: You're doing these shows. You're going to finish up in Canada. What's next for you and Joe? Uh, we are working to the end of the year. Then I'm going to take three months off and uh, do some recording, and hopefully uh, to try and include a house move if that can be done and build a studio. Uh, it also sounds a bit like the moonshot, trying to fit it into that time frame. But if things go my way, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, that, you know, we go for an upgrade of a few things. Um, meanwhile, uh, because we've been touring relentlessly, and as much as I love it, and I do, I need that time to recharge batteries and um, to re-plug the recorded side of things. I've got to... I've got to do that because I, I simply adore that. Steve Hackett, our guest here on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. I just have one final question as well. And I was wondering, yes. I know you said you're going to be moving and recharging after the tour is up at the end of the year. Do you have yeah. any plans included in that to go on any sort of global musical adventure to learn about a new instrument or people or music? To answer it in a roundabout way, I've made friends with people all over the world. I don't consider it so much working with world music as a case of working with friends. Yeah. Once you've got friends from everywhere, you know, then all sorts of things are possible. So who knows where that's going to take us I, th- I think we're going to visit Kenya I believe we're going to do that cool. so where that takes us musically I don't know it's not always easy to, to access some, something that's local that might be incredible or it might be you know just amateur night out you just never know I mean when we were in Morocco some years ago I saw some uh, guys who were playing the the, the Arabian fretless lute and and one of them was brilliant. And then a guy the following night, just playing in the hotel, was even more brilliant than that. And I got one, and I, I was messing around with it, of course. Uh, so, you know, I, I have these things, and um, they all deserve to be treated with, you know, great reverence and love. Yes, yes, they do. Steve Hackett, our guest on The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. We'll see you soon, man. Uh, you were talking about making friends, and we're really glad to have you as a friend of the Thank podcast you. here on The Imbalance History. Thank you Thank very you. much, Steve. Cheers, Marcus. Thank you, Ray. All, yeah, man. Have a great show. Thank you. Right. Take care. Thank you. We learned so much, and we uh, asked him so many questions. But, you know, I get caught up in the conversation like we talked about, like being relaxed and friendly with a guy like Steve. I had other questions I didn't get around to, and I really don't care. Well, I'm back sometime, man. He is such a cool dude and so creative. One of my favorite musicians in the universe, known or otherwise. Hearing him talk about his world travels and some of the new instruments that he's learning about and playing and learning to play is fascinating as well as talking about his work with Genesis, his work 
as a solo artist. Just you feel like you're almost traveling with him in some of these places when he gets on a roll talking about these experiences. You know where that's really true? When we did Under the Mediterranean Sky and we talked about the album and he described all that stuff. If you go back and listen to our first interview, you'll hear that. But I'm looking forward to the next time that we can have a visit from Steve Hackett. So much fun to get together, whether it's just you and me or our heroes in the rock universe. Uh, That's going to wrap it for this episode. Live from the Dark Doc Studios on the Pantheon Podcast Network, I'm Ray Koob. I'm Marcus Goldman. And this is the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll.